Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at the Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. And turn to Acts, the second chapter. We're going to read verses 40 through 47. And then I'm going to share with you just for a few moments what I feel like the Lord put in my heart for this house today. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 40 through 47. And if you don't have your Bible today, they should have the scriptures on the screen so that you can follow along. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. So let's read this starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Would you bow your head and pray with me this morning? Father, we look to your word today, which we know and, and believe that it's the perfect law of liberty. And we don't wanna just be hearers of the word, we wanna be doers of the word. So I pray that the spirit, as the spirit speaks today, that the church would have ears to hear what it is that you are saying, Holy Spirit. Lead, instruct, and guide us. I empty myself of me and ask that you would use me to declare your words to your people and that we would all leave this place more equipped and prepared to be who you've called us to be, and to give glory and honor to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the topic, go hard, then go home. Maybe you've heard before, go big or go home. Um, and it's like an either or. Well, I'm not saying go hard or go home. I'm saying that as believers, we have a responsibility while we're here on this earth to go hard in the kingdom of God, to give an effort in every single thing that we do. In fact, the Bible says, do everything heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto men. It also says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So I wanna encourage you today. I want to, to, to help you to go hard because then one day we're going to go home. We're going to get to go and be with our father forever. And I don't want to look back on this life with any kind of regret. I don't want to look back wishing I'd given more, wishing I'd loved more, wishing I'd served more, wishing I'd pursued God more. I want to go hard so that when it's time to go home, I'm ready to go home and be with the father, knowing that I left nothing to, you know, to, to, to lack or to waste. And so while I'm on this earth, and hopefully you have the same heart, we want to go all in for the kingdom of God. Um, but that doesn't mean that just when things are going great and when all the big exciting stuff is happening. Sometimes we live for the mountaintop and then we get stuck in the valley, right? That's an old uh, like f thing that we talk about in church, like, oh, the God of the mountains, the God in the valley, or I'm living on the mountaintop or I'm in the valley right now. But what I want you to see and understand is that we should go hard whether we're on the mountaintop or whether we're in the valley. We should be pursuing God at all times with all things, with our heart fixed and intent completely upon him. Because in the passage that we read just a moment ago, it says that the people, 
who were saved out of the day of Pentecost. You see, what had actually just happened is they'd been waiting in the upper room, the 120, and when the Holy Spirit came, there was flaming tongues of fire, there was a rushing mighty wind, and they all began to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke with other tongues. People started getting saved. Peter stands up, he delivers this sermon. 3,000 people get get added to the kingdom of God. But then it says that those who were saved, those that were a part of the kingdom of God, part of the body of Christ, they continued steadfastly in four specific things. And we're gonna break those things down so that we can also see what was produced, what was benefited from their continuing steadfastly as they chose to give themselves completely to the kingdom of God and what did they do that produced the results that they had. So, because sometimes we wanna live in these moments like they, we wanna stay in Pentecost. But let me remind you this, Pentecost happened like for a few hours and then life happened. And then they had to eventually go back to a normal way of living. And we've got to quit thinking that we can just live for this mountaintop experience with God and realize that it's a walk every single day. And so we, we get it so confused because we read this book and we read people's lives in like five minutes, 10, their entire life. Literally, some of them lived for like 900 years and you read about it in one verse. And we forget and we fail to realize that there were days, months, and years of just living that happened even between verses. And sometimes we get so frustrated because ain't nothing happening in our life and we're wishing that something would happen. And what we need to do is just keep continuing steadfastly in the faith. Keep going after God. Keep being a godly person. Keep loving him. Keep serving him. Keep seeking him. In fact, from the time of 12 years old until 30 years old, we have zero record of Jesus's life. No miracles performed, no sermons preached that we know of, but you know what he did? He lived pleasing in the eyes of the Father. He lived continuing steadfastly. And if there's one thing that I think that we need to get better at, it's stop living for the big moment. Listen, the big moment will come, it will happen, but they didn't make Pentecost happen, God sent Pentecost. And so once we receive what he has to receive, you're gonna have to go back to normal life. You're gonna have to learn how to live and how to be godly in and out, clocking into your job, being at home with your family, being at the ball field while your kids are playing ball. You've got to know what does it look like to just stay in Christ, to stay in God. So first let's, let's establish this. What does it mean to continue steadfastly? Because it says that they continued steadfastly in four things. We're gonna break those down. The, the phrase continue steadfastly is actually one word in the Greek and it's the word pros carterio. And pros, the, the prefix of the word means towards or interactively with. And then carterio means uh, show steadfast strength. It's derived from another word, which is kratos, meaning prevailing strength. So properly, this is what it means. To continue showing strength which prevails in spite of difficulties. To endure or remain firm, staying in a fixed direction. What that means is nothing was going to cause them to waver or get off course. They devoted themselves to these things. They gave their life entirely to it. In other words, they went hard for the kingdom of God. So first off, I wanna make you aware of this. If we want to see the results that the church of Acts saw, and we talk about these results all the time. Oh, they saw people get saved. They saw people get healed. They saw people get delivered. Then we're going to have to be willing to give the ourselves completely, not just once a week, not just twice a week, to the same things that they gave themselves to with 
intense or immense effort despite difficulty. You see, everybody wants to serve God until things start going wrong. But how are you when you're not in the day of Pentecost or you're not on the mountaintop, but you're just at work on Thursday afternoon and you're being tempted and your coworker is, is irritating you to the point that you have literally considered things that you don't want anybody else to know that you've considered saying or doing to that person, right? Hear me when I say this. There is nothing in this life more important than souls being saved. And we would all agree with that. If I, said, What's the, if I said, do you believe that people being saved and going to heaven and not going to hell is the most important thing? We would all raise our hand, but the reality is our life doesn't always line up with what we say that are, is important in our belief system. We say that's the most important thing, man, people getting saved, but we don't live like the most important thing is people getting saved. And if you want to see people come into the kingdom of God, which is one of the things that happened as a result of them giving themselves and continuing steadfastly in the faith, then we're going to have to give the immense effort despite difficulty. But what they continued in, this is what's amazing to me. It wasn't complex. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't elaborate, but it did take intense effort and devotion. The Holy Spirit was poured out in an incredible fashion and it was the mo one of the most influential moments in all of human history. And I know in no way want to belittle that or, or downplay what the Holy Spirit did. But so often we want to focus on the dispensation and forget about the responsibility. You see, the Holy Spirit was poured out, but when the Holy Spirit was poured out, then they had a responsibility to now be the church because the church was birthed in that moment through Holy Spirit fire. But then there was responsibility to continue steadfastly. So how did they live their everyday life? Because listen, every day wasn't like Pentecost, but we wanna read this and go, oh man, that's absolutely amazing. I wanna see that, I wanna live in that. How about what they did after Pentecost? Because listen, Pentecost came and the Bible actually says that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy, old men will dream dreams, young men will see visions. Guess what? We're living in those days. But what did they do after Pentecost? They continued steadfastly and they stayed consistent. They continued, they gave the greater effort to what? Here's, here's four things that they gave themselves to. And I'm gonna break these down. Number one, the apostles doctrine. The first thing it says is they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is this? this that word doctrine literally just means teaching. That when the apostles, the, 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 the men and women of God that God had ordained to lead the church like Peter and, and James and John, the disciples of Jesus, and later Paul would be added to that rank. They would, as they taught, they gave themselves, they continued, they devoted themselves, they gave immense and intense effort to allowing the teachings of the apostles to lead and guide their lives. So what is this? This is instruction in godly living. They didn't adopt this idiotic farce that says, because we've received the Holy Spirit, we don't need anybody to teach us anymore, brother. I have all things that I need. No, I don't care how long you live on this earth, how much time you spend studying, reading, you will always need someone to help you rightly divide the word of truth. And they, were, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. They didn't just come to church on Sunday morning or go to the, to the temple on a weeknight and receive 
receive a little 30 minute sermonette and then go, that was a good word, brother, and then forget about it. They gave themselves to the word of God. I want you to realize this, that when someone stands behind this pulpit on Sunday morning and or Wednesday night or Tuesday at chapel and declares the word of God to you for your life, it's not so that they get some or we get some spiritual high out of it that I'm so excited that everybody's here. No, you're not here to hear me. I'm here to hopefully help you learn what it means to be more like God. Not that, like Paul said, not that I've already attained. I don't already have it all figured out. I'm just a man like you, but we have to give ourselves to the teaching and the instruction of righteousness so that we can become who God has called us to be. And when we think that, well, I don't need anybody to teach me. That guy's, man, I, I felt personally attacked a moment ago when Harvest said that lady was older and then she said she was in her 30s. I'm serious. I had to repent of bitterness. If there had been an altar call at that moment for bitterness, I would have been the first one up here because I was on the front row. That's why I would have been the first one up here. But I felt personally attacked. 30 is not old, okay? (laughs) I am 31. That is not old. But when we have this idea that I don't need anybody to teach me, I've already learned Listen, remember what the word of God says in the book of Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You will never outgrow the need to be instructed regarding regarding righteousness. I will never outgrow that need. I will never come to the place where I'm the sum total of wisdom and I don't need anybody to ever enlighten me regarding the word of God ever again. We all need that in our life. So what does that look like? It means that they didn't just listen to the teachings of the apostles. They applied them to their life. They allowed what was taught amongst the body of Christ to form and to stabilize every decision that they made throughout their life. That's what it means to continue in the teachings of the apostles. Think about this. Scottsboro would look a lot different if you didn't just listen to sermon on Sundays, but you applied them on Monday. If what was spoken from the pulpit, from the word of God, because either we believe this to be absolute truth and it can instruct and guide and is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and it's living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And it's a discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our heart, or it's not. Either we believe that or we don't. And if we truly believe it, then we would be applying it on Monday. Listen, I wanna ask you, do you devote yourself? Because that's one of the definitions of continuing steadfastly. They devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. Not just to going to church, but what was spoken at church became the bedrock for their life Monday through Saturday. Listen, if you think that church is important enough to wake up on a Sunday morning and take a shower and brush your teeth and get your children dressed and get them in the car and get here and spend two hours, two and a half hours of your time off. Some of you, it's the only day off you get all week. And you think it's important enough to come here and do that on a Sunday. Why would it not be important enough to apply it to your life throughout the week? 
Because what happens at church is instructing you and it's empowering you. And we've got to change how we look at it. It's not just, I went to church because I'm a good person or because that's my church or, you know, oh, that was a good word. We've got to get beyond that was a good word. And we've got to allow the word of God become implanted in our heart. That's why Jesus told the parable of the sower. The sower went out and he sowed here and he sowed there, but it only produced a 100 fold return where there was an open heart to receive the word of God, where there was good soil. So if this is important, we would all, I think, just like we would all agree that souls being saved is the most important thing. I think everybody would raise their hand because you're in church and say the preached word is important, right? We would all agree with that. Then why can't we remember what was talked about two weeks ago? That's like when I used to learn something in school. You know how I know I didn't learn it? Because I don't know it anymore, (laughs) right? Yesterday, no, not yesterday, because yesterday was Saturday, Friday, Judah was working on some school, home, I say we're homeschooling Judah. Madison is homeschooling Judah because um, I'm not much help. And uh, Madison had to go out of the room and she said, can you help Judah with that? Yeah, sure. Send him over, you know. He comes over, he sits down next to me, he goes, uh, can you divide fractions? And I was like, you're gonna need to talk to your mom about that one, but I, I don't know. I don't know. You're fourth grade. That's just a little beyond my my math knowledge there. Maybe it was even simplifying fractions. I don't know. But as soon as I just, if it wasn't addition, subtraction, or multiplication, like at the very base level, I was just like, you're going to need to go talk to your mom. Because I don't even know how to put that in a calculator. You know what I mean? Like, how do you even start on that? No. But why is it that we can't even remember what was talked about last week? Maybe you can. Maybe you can. I'm not saying it's across the board. But for many, many people, You probably can't remember what was talked about last week or two weeks ago, if you were even here. No judgment, just a little bit. (laughs) Just a little plug to hopefully get you in church more. Because how are you going to devote yourself to something that you don't even hear, that you weren't even present for, right? So we need to devote ourselves to the Word of God. I urge you, give intense effort to the teaching that takes place. Why? Because it's for your benefit. It's for your betterment. It's gonna make you a better husband, a better wife, a better coworker, a better Christian, a better son or daughter of God. So we need to give ourselves to the teaching of the word. Second thing they gave themselves to or they continued steadfastly in, which I think is so important, is fellowship. This is the Greek word koinonia. And here's what it means. You see, because when we think about fellowship, we think about hanging out, right? Like, man, I need some fellowship. I need to go to Top Golf with my buddies, right? I, we need to go and get a bite to eat, right? And that, that's part of it. But here's what true fellowship is, the Greek word. It means contributory help or sharing. That means to f- truly fellowship with someone, you must be dead set and intent upon helping them with their needs. That's what fellowship really means. You wanna know what makes beneficial fellowship is when you don't focus on what you can get out of the fellowship, but what you can put into the fellowship. How can I add to my brother or my sister's life? How can I sharpen them? How can I help them? How can I bear some of their burdens? You know, you say, oh, I need some fellowship. No, you wanna dump and you wanna vent. That's what you wanna do sometimes, right? We all have been in that place before where we're like, oh, I just need some fellowship. And what you really wanna do is complain about your spouse and complain about your job and complain about this and that. No, what you need is fellowship because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And if you sow, it will be given back to you, okay? So 
I'm not saying that sometimes you don't need somewhere to pour your heart out. That's not what I'm saying at all. I, I, I don't believe that. But we do need to be careful that we don't become selfish in our fellowship because then it's no longer fellowship. Because fellowship is sharing or helping, contributing to the help of somebody else. And a good way to understand and see, is my fellowship selfish? Is it true fellowship? Is look at the way that you talk. Go back to your conversations and replay them in your head. Because if your conversations are dominated by the words, me, my, and I, then you're selfish in your conversation. You ever talk to somebody and you're like, wow, they are very selfish. Well, you know one that gets me? Hey man, nice to meet you. You know, you chat with somebody at the golf course or whatever and you start talking to them and you say, what do you do for a living? They tell you for five minutes what they do for a living and then they never ask you what you do for a living. That's, that's always such a like selfish mentality to me right? Because, and, or that person that they take every conversation and they turn it back to them, right? Like, oh, hey, is your kid playing t-ball? Yeah, my kid's playing t-ball. And then they turn the conversation all the way back to when they played baseball and how they did it and how they did it. We've got to be careful to make sure that, excuse me, we're not selfish in our fellowship. When we come together, we should seek the betterment of others, not just for ourselves. So you need fellowship, yes, for you, but you also need to seek to be giving in your fellowship. What if your desire for fellowship was based solely upon what you could give, not just what you could get? What would this community of believers look like if we took that approach to fellowship? Man, when I come to church, I wanna seek, how can I pour into somebody else? How can I love somebody else? How can I help somebody else? How can I contribute to their needs, their desires, or their wants? That's what continuing steadfastly in fellowship is like. That leads me to the third one, which is my favorite, breaking bread. Anybody else with me on that? Listen, we can break bread. We can break steak. We can break sushi. We can break coffee. We can break gummy bears. We can break tiramisu, cheesecake, burgers and fries. If it can be broken, we should break it, okay? That's what I say, right? I think this is so important and we don't realize how important this is in the body of Christ. And that's why things like supper at the well, it may seem like, why are they, why are they doing a meal on Wednesday? Because it's scriptural to get together with other believers and actually break bread and eat together. And you don't realize how important this could actually be in people's life. This literally means simply they ate together. That's it. They got together and they had food. They met at Alabaster and had coffee. They had each other into one another's homes and they cooked meals for one another and they broke bread together. Listen, it may not seem spiritual. It may not seem supernatural, but listen, you might be the reason somebody doesn't give up. You might be the reason somebody makes it instead of being a failure. You might be the reason that somebody's marriage stays together instead of falling apart because when you notice that they were struggling instead of down talking them and judging them because they don't have their stuff together, you said, hey, let's have so-and-so over for dinner. I think we just need to break some bread and we need to seek how can we contribute to their life. You wanna know what makes a strong church is when people take stuff like this seriously and we don't just go, oh yeah, you know what? We don't have time to break bread. We 
don't have time not to break bread. We need to be coming together and encouraging one another in the Lord. Because listen, hearts are intertwined over good meals. It's all throughout the Bible. From Genesis all the way to the marriage supper of the lamb in Revelation, eating is all throughout the Bible. And somebody said, amen. I can't be the only one that's excited about this. The Holy Spirit thought that this was important enough to put in Acts chapter two, verse 42. Because remember, all scripture is inspired by God. So as Luke was writing this account, and he was giving an orderly account of everything that took place, the Holy Spirit said, don't forget to tell them that they broke bread together. Don't forget to tell them that they ate together. So much so, he said it again three verses later, that they went from house to house and they broke bread together. I cannot stress to you, it doesn't seem important, it doesn't seem spiritual, but it is advantageous and beneficial for your life and for other people's life to break bread together. The fourth thing that they continued in is prayers. Paul told the Romans, in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, that we should, that in that chapter and in that portion of scripture, he's instructing us how we can be a godly person. How can we, we can behave like a Christian or be a true Christian. And in that, he says that we should continue steadfastly in prayer. He uses the same exact phrasing, these same exact words to say, we should continue steadfastly in prayer. In fact, David, who was a man after God's own heart in Psalm 109 verse four said, I give myself to prayer. I'm devoting my life to prayer. I'm continuing with immense and intense effort in prayer. And I want you to know today, the power and the value of prayer cannot be overestimated. It's so, the, the times that there's prayer in here on Sundays after church or the Wednesday night prayer meetings or the, the once a month Wednesday fasting and prayer, I cannot tell you, you wanna see things change in your life. You wanna see things, you wanna see God break things off of your family. You wanna see God unlock things for your future and for your spouse and for your finances. You need to become a person of prayer. We must realize that prayer is a gift that has been given to us by God that so often we neglect. It's a gift. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about prayer. He said, to pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to gather riches out of an inexhaustible source. Think about that next time you go to pray. That to pray is to go into the treasure house of God and gather out riches from an inexhaustible source. He's not just talking about monetary means. He's talking about everything that you have need of for your life in, in your spirit, in your body, and in your life. You can find it in prayer. He also said this. This one will burn some of you because it burned me the first time I ever read it. I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. Simply put, prayer is the thermometer that shows the temperature. Are you hot or are you cold? the intensity of your prayer. We must be people of prayer. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in fellowship. They continued in breaking of bread. They continued in prayer. And when we will continue steadfastly in these things, here's what we'll begin to see. Go back with me to Acts chapter two. Some of you are like, I never left it, but I accidentally closed my Bible. Acts chapter two. And we're gonna read verse 43. So, because... They continued in these things. Verse 43 says, then. What does that mean? That means it happened after what was just previously stated took place. 
So once they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, then fear came upon every soul. And many, not a few, but many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods, excuse me, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So then what happened? What I wanna talk to you about is when we go hard, when we devote ourselves completely to what God is calling us to do, to these things, this is what will take place. This is what we'll see in our community. This is what we'll see in our church. This is what we'll see in our region. Number one, reverence and wonder. Because it says, then fear came upon all the people. In order to understand what's actually being said, you have to look up the definition of the word fear. And in this specific place in the Greek, it means reverence and wonder or awe. So that doesn't mean that people were literally afraid of the church. Like they walked up in food land, everybody started hiding underneath, you know, the, the, the tables. Like, oh my goodness, here comes people from the church. We better hide. No, it means that there was a reverence and there was a respect and there was a sense of wonder about the church. Could you imagine what it would be like if the church had reverence again? That the church wasn't the, the lowest thing on the totem pole, but the church was somewhere that everybody wanted to know. What is the church? church think about this? What does the well think about this? What is my person at my job that's a part of the body of Christ? What do they have to say about this matter? What do they think about what's going on in the world? That means that when they continued and they were steadfast, you see, the reason people don't respect us is because we're not steadfast. We're flighty. We're up one minute, down the next. Oh, it's revival time. Then we're up. Oh, there's no services going on? Then we're down. We're just like everybody else. But as they continued steadfastly, people had reverence. I believe that the church should be the most respected entity in the community. Why? Because Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy, and he said that the church is the pillar and it's the ground of truth. What does that mean? That means a community has no truth if there is not a healthy church present because the church is the pillar and it's the ground of the truth. We are to uphold truth in this community. And if we wanna do that, then we're gonna have to be steadfast in the things of God so that people can look to us and realize that's where I can find truth. And what does truth do? You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You wanna know why there's so much bondage in the world today? Because the church isn't being the pillar of truth that she's called to be. And people don't have the respect, but not just the respect, they respected the church, but they also had a sense of wonder. You know, we gotta beg people to come to church so often, right? You ever felt that before? Like, I just feel like people are doing me a favor by coming to church. No, you should be doing them a favor by bringing them to church. Could you imagine, I don't know what the occupancy rating is for this building, but could you imagine if there were so many people here next week that we had to start another service because so many people were wondering about what was going on in here? And they were wondering, not because of what I said, not because of what Pastor Greg is saying, but because they saw you at work. They saw you in the grocery store and they're like, if their life looks like that and it used to look like this, then there must be something about it. And I need to go figure out what's going on at the church. Not the well, the body of Christ, the church. And so it gave them a sense of wonder and awe. So could you imagine if you clocked into work tomorrow morning and your coworkers were like, how can I get to church with you next week? Remember throughout the scripture in, in Acts, people would ask the apostles, what must I do to be saved? We're trying to twist people's arm into getting saved. And they were asking them how to get saved. Why? Because it was apparent in their life that there was a difference about them. 
because they continued steadfastly. So the first thing that we'll see is reverence and wonder. The second thing is he says many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So if we will continue steadfastly, we'll see signs and wonders. You see, but the thing is, is we'd rather see signs and wonders than continue steadfastly. And that's why we don't see them as much as we would like to. I'm not saying that God hasn't moved miraculously or powerfully. God hasn't done things. I'm saying if you wanna see many wonders and signs, then we're gonna have to continue steadfastly and not be hot one week and cold the next. We're gonna have to continue steadfastly. You see, they didn't chase signs and wonders. Signs and wonders followed them. As they continued steadfastly, signs and wonders came. In fact, that's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. He says, signs, wonders, and miracles will follow those who believe. But the problem is we have developed whole churches that just seek signs and wonders. You know what Paul said? Pursue love. Desire spiritual gifts, much especially that you may prophesy. But what are we to pursue? Love. Not the, not the spiritual gifts. We don't pursue signs. We don't pursue wonders. We pursue God. And guess what? He'll take care of the signs and the wonders. It doesn't say that they continued in seeking signs. They continued in, in seeking wonders. They continued in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And then the signs and the wonders came. I'm not against signs and wonders. I want to see God move so mightily. I want to see people's lives changed. I want to see people healed, delivered, set free, their life changed forever. But we're not going to get there by chasing that. We're going to get there by adhering to what the word of God tells us to do. That is our responsibility. There's nothing wrong with desiring for God to work miracles, but don't let your priorities get out of alignment. Don't let your priorities get out of whack. The third thing that they saw, there's five things that come. The third one is provision. It says that everybody that was amongst the body of Christ, they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and their goods. But listen to this. And they divided them among all as anyone had a need. Because everybody lived with the mentality of generosity, they were able to divide to everyone every single time a need arose. If there was a need present, it wasn't present for long because it got met. When you devote yourself to continuing steadfastly in what God has instructed us and called us to, to staying and devoting ourselves to, listen to me, God will supply every single one of your needs. Maybe you came into this place needing, wanting, or lacking today. You can go out of here today knowing I'm gonna commit myself to the apostles' doctrine. I'm gonna commit myself. I'm gonna, if I'm not fellowshipping, I'm not seeking to add to somebody else's life, I'm gonna get in that and I'm gonna do it. If I'm not breaking bread with somebody, I'm gonna break bread with him and I'm gonna start praying faithfully. Trust me in this, God will supply your needs. He will come through because he is a God of provision. And I wanna say to you about this. If you need something, pray for it. Pray for it. Let that be your first response. Remember what Charles Spurgeon said. To pray is it to enter the treasure houses of God and draw from inexhaustible resources. So often we have a need come up and we start to freak out. What did they continue in? One of the things was prayer. If you will become a person of prayer, trust me, you will see God provide in ways that you've never seen him provide. And I'm not just talking about money. In fact, I'll show you. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter one, there was a woman by the name of Hannah who didn't have any children. And she prayed to God that he would give her a child. 
And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And finally, God gave her a son. You know what she said in verse 27 of 1 Samuel chapter 1? For this child, I have prayed. And because she prayed for it, God provided it. I'm not saying that if you come to the altar today and pray for a Maserati that you're going to get one. Okay? Maserati, Maserati, I don't know. It's just the first one that came to me. Lamborghini. Okay? I'm not saying that that's how it works. What I'm saying is if you have a legitimate need in your life, God is the need meter. And he will take care of every single need that you have. But something else that I've learned in my life is that provision comes to people that have vision. Because the word provision, the prefix pro, means for. So when you have vision, God will give you what you need to fulfill the vision that he has placed inside of your life. Because the, the provision is for the vision that he has given to you. And so if you don't have what you need, check and make sure you're living according to God's vision and not just your vision and your version of what life should look like. So the third thing that they got was provision. The fourth thing that the Bible says that they had, and you can read this in verse 47, is favor with all people. Praising God and having favor with all the people. I want you to realize this. It's not wrong to have favor on your life. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's nothing to, to downplay. It's scriptural that God's people would have favor on their life. In fact, one of the definitions of this word, because it shares its root very closely with the Greek word for grace, it simply means kindness. And they had kindness from all people. Now, when you continue steadfastly in God's way, you will find that people will give you more favor along the way. They'll be kinder to you. They'll give you a break that they didn't give to somebody else. Some people, but, but listen, some people want to be hated. It's like a badge of honor to wear in Christianity. People hate me because they hated Jesus. I want to remind you something. Not everyone hated Jesus. He said some people would hate us because they hated him. But he did not say, everyone hates me. But some Christians live like we're just called to be hated by anybody that's not a part of the body of Christ. My Bible says right here that they had favor with people. People were kind to them. People gave them stuff that maybe they didn't even deserve because they were continuing steadfastly and because they were faithful people. And so we can be people of favor. And something that I've said this before here probably, but favor is not fair. What does that mean? That means that everybody else ain't gonna get the favor that's on your life. But don't be insecure about that. Realize that you don't have to be prideful about it, but favor is scriptural and you can walk it out. You can live it out and live in favor every single day of your life. Here's the fifth and the final thing that they reaped from continuing steadfastly. And it's souls, souls, souls. Because it says in verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I want to first point out this. It was the Lord that added the souls. It doesn't say they manufactured salvations. It doesn't say they twisted people's arm into the kingdom. It says God added. Why is that so important? Because Paul said, there's one that waters, or there's one that plants, excuse me. There's one that waters, but God gives the increase. I want to remind you, you can't save anybody. Only God can save people. When Harvest led that precious young lady to the Lord by the name of Liz, 
Harvest was a messenger. She was a vessel, but she was not the Savior. Only Jesus is the Savior. He's the one that added to the church, and he's the one that got them saved. We can't drag people into the kingdom. It was God who brought the increase. We just need to do our part. I would love to hear reports next week of people being saved every single day because that's what it says. The Lord added to the church, not just on Sunday mornings, but on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, daily people who were being saved every single day. Why? Because they were continuing steadfastly. Listen, look back over those four things. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. Not one of them is impressive. Not one of them requires talent. Worship team can join me whenever you guys get ready. Not one of them required a lot of talent or ability. You know what it does take? Effort. They just gave themselves to it. They said, you know what? If this is real and if this is true, then I'm gonna give my life completely to it, not just going to church, but being a person that is continuing steadfastly in what God is calling and, cre and what God has created me to do and who he's created me do to be. And because of that, people got saved every single day. Next week, there should be more people here than there is this week. Why? Because more people got saved this week. Because you led somebody to Jesus. Because the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Listen, not so we can brag about it. Not so we can broadcast it. Not so we can say, look at us. We, we, we've saved this many people. No, but so that our fellow man can know the power and the redemption that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. So I encourage you, go hard. Continue steadfastly. Do what God has asked and required of you to do and then watch and see what he'll do with it and what he'll do through you. One of my favorite songs says, little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. You might feel like a little, but that you can do a lot when you allow God to be a part, not just allow him to be a part, but you allow him to lead you into the part that he wants you to be in the kingdom of God. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me today? We wanna see... All of these things take place in our communities. We wanna see souls saved. We wanna see favor. We wanna see provision. We wanna see the, the reverence and the wonder. We wanna see God move in all these ways. But what we want more than anything is to make sure that our heart is after him and that we're doing what he's called us and created us to do. So what I want you to do today is I'm gonna make an altar call. And if you wanna make a fresh commitment to continue steadfastly, in the faith, in the kingdom of God, I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and make your way forward here today and just find a place in the altar and you're just responding and just saying, you know what? I'm deciding that I am going to follow after Jesus. I'm not gonna go my own way. I'm not gonna do it in my own strength or my own ability, but I'm deciding I am going to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread. I'm committing myself and devoting myself to be a person of prayer. I trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the Word of God today. Once again, I want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast. It's very important that after you receive the Word of God to make sure it gets sealed in your heart. I'd like to do that with you. I'd like to pray with you that we can tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the Word of God have free course, move swiftly in us, and it would glorify God. You know, the Word of God is a seed. You can expect results out of it. You can expect fruit out of it. You can expect something to be produced. Again, I'm so thankful that you joined us. Now allow me just a moment to pray with you. Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus. 
the Word of God Himself. And I thank you for the Word that has been heard. I thank you for the Word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord find great delight in you. And may you find great joy in him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you. And may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.